Well, saints, it's good to see you here this evening. As we continue our study in Titus, uh, we've we've been discussing elders, and I know some of you have been wondering, well, uh, I'm not sure how this applies to me. I'm not an elder. I don't qualify. Um, but I just want to encourage you that the descriptions of an elder that we've been looking at are an ideal for all of us to strive for. The, the elders are, are really called to be exemplary Christians and to serve as a model for us in their life and doctrine. And, and because of that, uh, all of us have something to learn from them because we're all attempting to live better lives for Christ. Last week, we looked at uh, what's the quality of an elder? What, what should they be like? Today, we're looking more at, at the purpose of an elder. As we looked at all the qualifications of the moral order they needed to have in their lives in relation to their wives, in relation to their children, in relation to God, in relation to outsiders, in relation to virtue and vice, we, you may have been thinking, well, why are all these qualities important. We'll be getting into this that this week as we look at, well, what's the purpose of an elder? And as we understand that, we'll begin to see why their lifestyle is to be so important. We're really just going to focus on verse 9 today, uh, but let's read verse 5 to kind of refresh our memory of what we went over last week and connect it to verse 9 as background. Titus chapter 1 beginning in verse 5, we'll be focusing just mainly on verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and ins or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quit-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray again. Lord, we ask you to bless our time together in your word. We pray, Lord, that the same Spirit who inspired these words to be written would be working in us to better understand, apply, and be transformed by your word. We pray that he would convict us and move us in ways that will make us more and more a people who honor you and glorify you in all that we do. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, so at, at the conclusion of these descriptions of what an elder should look like and the way in which an elder should act, we come to verse 9, and it says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. 
we, we see here that the elder is, is somebody who is to be faithful and unshakable in their conviction. In the first Timothy, uh, in the Timothy passage where it describes elders and what they should look like and how they should be, one of the things it mentions that we don't have in Titus is uh, you don't want it to be a, a new believer so that they don't get puffed up and tempted by the devil. Another reason why you don't want necessarily a new believers, it's hard to see if the person holds firm to the faith if they haven't been in the faith that long. One of the things you're looking for is, is, is this somebody who is faithful to the word that has been taught, or do they waver? Do, do, they, do they move back and forth on issues? One of the things it also shows us is that one of the most important things for an elder to be is teachable. Do you notice that? They must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. That is, the elders have to be taught the trustworthy word. They have to be somebody who can be teachable. And the reason why we find out the reason that they have to be teachable is they have to be teachers. I don't know if you know this, but, you know, people ask in leadership, and I believe it's Patton who emphasizes this, in order to be a good leader, one of the things that you've got to do is you've got to be a good follower. Patton says if you want to command men, you have to know how to, if you want to give orders, you've got to know how to obey orders. A similar thing goes on with teaching. If you want to be a good teacher, it helps to be a good student. Uh, it especially helps if you're not that bright and you want to learn. Uh, actually, there, you know, there's some people who are just naturally gifted and they aren't that great of a teacher's. Because they assume everybody else is as smart and as bright and, and as creative as, as they are and as interested in the subject as they are. I have the advantage of having a lot of disadvantages. So I don't, I don't assume anybody is brighter than me. And I know my own stupidity, my own difficulty in understanding the word. So I try and work real hard to understand it so that I can communicate it at a level everybody can understand. People say, you're so clear sometimes to me. And I said, well, I've got to be, otherwise I don't understand it. <laughs> but we see an elder needs to be teachable. They must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. By the way, this... This begins describing a, a chain which is going to unlock the reason why the purpose of an elder is so important. They, they have something, and it's not something they've created. It's not something they've made up. It, it is something they have received. It's something they've been taught. It's something they've been equipped in. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught elders must be teachable. The reason they are to be teachable is for two reasons. Number one, so that they will be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And number two, also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here we get into the purpose of an elder. The purpose of an elder is to teach sound doctrine and to rebuke false doctrine. Now it's interesting that's the purpose of an elder. It comes at the end of the list. But when we think back over all the 
qualities, we, when we think back over the type of person that Paul has been describing to Timothy and saying, this is the type of guy you want to be an elder, does it, does it seem like that's the same thing? Because most of what he's been talking about hasn't, hasn't been you know, uh, his educational background. He, he, he's not talking about uh, their degrees or how well they do in business or these various things. He's talking about the quality of the life they're living. So how does the quality of your life deal with doctrine? It points to the fact that we actually have a false idea. We, we think of doctrine as, as this abstract idea that doesn't have much to do with our life that's for the academics and the, and the theologians. And in fact, as I kind of looked at this word, I was, I, was gonna, I was trying to come up with this clever, something clever to impress y'all about what doctrine really is. But when I looked at the word, do you know what it means? It's just the content of teaching. It's a fancy word for the content of teaching. So when we say doctrine, it's what is taught. So in, in Christianity, it's extremely important Doctrine is important. Why? Because it tells us who God is. Doctrine is important. Why? Because it tells us what God has done for us. It tells us about our Savior. It tells us about the incarnation and Christ's coming. It tells us about the life of Christ. It tells us about the commands of Christ. It tells us about the death of Christ. It tells us about the resurrection of Christ. It tells us about Christ interceding on our behalf in heaven. It tells us about him sending his Holy Spirit to equip and enable us. It tells us about who we are as the people of God, that we are called sons and daughters. It tells us about the return of Christ, that he is coming to set all things right and to judge all all people. Doctrine is important because it tells us about who our God is. It's the content of what is taught. Now, it's important that they're teachable and that they're able to teach, but an emphasis here, by, by the way, sometimes people just are looking for really good teachers or, or, or things like that, but it's very important that they're not just good teachers, but they have the right content. That what they're teaching is the right thing, that that doctrinal piece is correct. And, and to give you an example of this, I want to give you a quote. And I'm just going to eliminate one word of it, and then I'm going to reveal to you uh, who said it and what it's about. Uh, so the, I'm, I'm eliminating the first word. I'll just say blank instead. Blank is the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ, of which I myself am not ashamed. Now, doesn't that sound like a great quote? Some of you are hesitant because you know I'm about to trick you. It does sound like a great quote, but it matters what you fill in the blank with, doesn't it? Uh, because the full quote is, Mormonism is the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ, of which I myself am not ashamed, Joseph Smith, Jr. The, the content of the doctrine matters. Not, not only does the content of the doctrine matter, lifestyle matters. And by the way, if, if people read uh, the book of Titus, they'd be a lot more suspicious of Mormonism. 
Because you just got to back up a couple verses to verse 6. If anybody is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Mormonism starts to run into trouble there, doesn't it? So we have these descriptions of of a person's life in order that they will be equipped to teach sound doctrine. One of the things we need to realize about doctrine, that the content of this teaching, is, is that its purpose isn't just informational, it's transformational. And if a person hasn't been transformed by the word of the God, they aren't really equipped to describe and to be a, an elder of the church and to guard the doctrines of the church. Because as, as we've said, who your God is matters. Who your God is changes the way you live your life. And its purpose is to lead us towards godliness. He must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. I want to zoom in here. The idea of giving sound in, giving instruction here has an equipping idea in it. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the age where shop class and, and home ec were all removed from the schools. Uh, so we have the foolish notion that learning really involves sitting around and, and taking notes and listening to somebody talk. That's a dangerous thing for me to say as somebody who talks for a living. Uh, but, but that is one of the least effective ways of communication. It's one of, If your objective is to equip somebody. If your objective is to equip somebody, having a one-sided conversation like we generally do here in white churches. Black churches get a little more back and forth. I was glad Lamar brought that in this morning to our church. But you, 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 talking to you one way, I don't know whether you're picking it up. I don't know whether you're applying it into your lives. I don't know whether it is transforming you from day to day. This idea of teaching is not just presenting the information, but being able to show people, okay, this is what it looks like to live a Christian life. By the way, you've got to be working on a much smaller scale to accomplish that. You can't do that with a lot of people. You can only do that with a handful of people. Say, this is, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is how who He is has changed how I live. This is how who He is changes the way I relate to my wife. This is how who He is changes the way I relate to my kids. This is how the way what, what He has done transforms the way I work on my business. This, this changes everything about me, and I want to show you how it changes everything. There are to be equippers, ones who can not just tell people, but show people what does it look like to follow Jesus Christ. The doctrine has to be sound. The word is trustworthy. The word, in my translation, sound doctrine, it's kind of an interesting word that's used to describe it, it's actually healthy. Be able to give instruction in healthy doctrine. And I kind of like the idea that's in the root, at the root of that um, because it, it makes it sound like your doctrine's got legs on it. You know, it, it's not just living in the realm of ideas, it's living in the realm of activity. That is, 
your doctrine is disease-free. Not only is it disease-free, but it's active. It's got a healthy diet. It's got a healthy work ethic. It is, it is equipped to accomplish what its purpose and intention is. Is their doctrine healthy? We have, as this goes on, uh, a little bit of a tension. There, there's some places that really emphasize doctrine, don't they? Uh, but you go in and it's almost like the, you know, the room's kind of cold when you get into it, e even during the summer in Memphis. Uh, and and you, you think, gosh, they, they seem to care a lot about this theology and, and things like that, but they don't really seem interested in people. You know, nobody, nobody said hi when I came in. And then you have these other, other churches that are, oh, they, they really care about people. You know, they'll, they'll love you to death. Um, but they think doctrine's a curse word, you know. They, they, try, they try just to talk about loving people, and they, don't, they, they teach, but there's almost never any content to the teaching. And, and often in our days, those are kind of presented as, as two polar opposites. You know, you either care really a lot about... Doctrine and, the, and other churches say, you know, we really care about doctrine. That's what's most important. And then other churches say, we just care about people and loving them, and that's what we're working on. As if the two were incompatible. The two need to be inseparably united in our lives and in our practice. Because why, why is doctrine important? Well, because, because it tells us who God is. It provides a, a way of salvation. If you don't care about God, if you don't care about salvation, if you don't care about life, if you don't care about death, if you don't care about eternity, well, then it, it's okay to ignore doctrine. But the doctrine, the content of Christian teaching, contains all those things. But guess what? Those aren't just abstract ideas. It's not important just to have them written down in a book and, and filed away on a shelf somewhere. But the truth about God, the truth about salvation, the truth about Jesus Christ, the truth of His Holy Spirit, the truth of His first coming, the truth of His second coming, the truth of the Scriptures is a message that is intended to have interaction with the human soul. To save it, to transform it, to purify it so that God might have a people for His own possession who are zealous to do good works. If you care about people, you ought to care about doctrine because that's what saves them and that's what redeems them. If you care about doctrine, you ought to care about people because the doctrine, of, particularly the doctrine of Christianity, it tells you that the second greatest thing you can do is love people. So to say you love doctrine but not people is incompatible with the Christian belief system. We're to love people. We're to be deeply concerned about doctrine because we love the chemistry of the two. We love how God, through His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit, through the teaching that He has revealed to us, can transform men and women. It is a great and a glorious thing. And the elders in the church 
are entrusted with this task. They're entrusted to protect the doctrine from corruption and to protect the people from the corruption of false doctrine. They have two tasks. Number one is to be able to distribute and reproduce in their lives, in their teaching, in their equipping, true doctrine. And one of the reasons why you have the high qualifications is you can only give what you got. You can only give what you got. You can't teach anybody something you don't know. So they're to have this knowledge and personal experience of Christianity in order that they can equip others, that they can teach others, that they can pass it on. Now, now that's the positive aspect of it. This teaching, giving, giving instruction in sound doctrine but they also have a protective element. They've got to be able to lead the sheep to pasture, but they've also got to be able to protect the sheep from wolves, from predators. So also to rebuke those who contradict it. To rebuke those who contradict the sound doctrine, those who are false teachers, those who present things that are not true. And by the way, there's a lot of false teachers that can sound really good. Uh, one time I was uh, flipping through channels, and there's a very famous televangelist uh, who preaches to one of the largest congregations in the United States. And I had heard a lot about him, about how, you know, oh, he's not that good doctrinally. You know, he's just got a winning, winning smile, winning personality, but no real substance to his teaching. So I thought, okay, let's see what this guy's got. I sat and listened, and he gave a fabulous message. And almost all of what he said was really good. But that was just one message. I, I listened to, later on other interviews and, and, and talks with him, and you begin to quickly see that although a lot of his stuff is good, there is an undercurrent of false doctrine that runs throughout his teaching. You've got to be careful of, of the false doctrine. And for elders, you want somebody uh, who, who not only can recognize it, but refute it. Okay? So there, there, there are times, you know, when I'm not very mechanical, but uh, there'll, there'll be times when I'll be doing something with a car or something else, and, and you'll look at something and you'll just say, that's off. You know, when, when, when we got our house, I'm, I'm not a carpenter, I'm not a woodworker. Um, but as, as we went through our house, there was uh, somebody who did a lot of D, DIY, uh, do-it-yourself. Uh, but with the person who worked on our house, it was DIY, which it, but it's spelled D-I-W-H-Y <laughs> instead of I. And there were just these things that they did, and you thought, why on earth did they did that? There were some spots, I'll give you just a silly example, but on the outside of the house, there were some parts of, of wood that was rotted, and, and in order to keep the rain out, the person had stuffed some rags in there. And, and our, our woodworker is laughing here, because I don't know a lot about woodworking, but I know that rags absorb water. And that is not a good thing to put into already rotting wood. You know, I, 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 so I could recognize it. I, I couldn't fix it, though. 
the, the elder's job is not only to recognize the problem, but to fix it. Uh, the rebuke has the sense of telling them what is wrong with the intention to bring about their correction. So he, he has to recognize false doctrine and then be able to describe correct doctrine in a way that is geared towards winning over those who have been captivated by false doctrine. To say, look, you're wrong, and, and this is why you're wrong. This is what Scripture actually says. This is actually the truth. This is how you veered off of the correct way. Uh, the, the word rebuke can also have the, the, the sense of correction and things like that. I think rebuke is almost too strong of a word in, in a couple of ways because we can hear the word rebuke and just think, oh, an, uh, an elder's just got to be able to yell at somebody that they're wrong. No, they, they've got to be able to correct the mistake or at least direct them towards correction, at least demonstrate what is true. And this, is, by the way, is, is why having, again, somebody who's teachable is so important. Uh, when, when, I, when I think about uh, a teachable attitude, I think about, I should have looked this up. I thought this morning that I should look it up. But the Bereans in Acts. Do you know what the Bereans do when presented with Paul and this news about Jesus Christ, which is new and foreign to them? You know what it was. What they what do they do? They go to the script. It says they search the scriptures to find out if what they were saying was true. Now, saints, we live in an unteachable age. We live in a divided and politicized age. Now, what that means is, is the truth isn't of that much concern. Being teachable and learning what's actually going on isn't of that big of a concern. You just think, well, does, how does this affect me? How does this affect the party I like? Or the people I like? Or the denomination I like? And then wh whatever benefits that, I'm going to pursue the things that help that and declare that truth, not discover whether or not it is true. In Christianity, our objective is to discover the truth, and we have an advantage and a leg up on everybody else because we have the author of all truth who has given us truth in his word by which we can measure the truthfulness of all other statements. So, so we look to the Scriptures and, and begin to see, now wait a minute, is what they're teaching in accord with the Scriptures? Is what they're saying in, in accord with the whole counsel of God? Or is it something that is contrary to it? Is it something opposed to it? The elder is one who's entrusted by God with the responsibility of being a, both a caretaker of doctrine and a caretaker of people. We've said that they're God's stewards. They've been entrusted with God's people in order that they can equip them with proper teaching to pass on the truth that has been given to us in God's work to make sure that people are applying it properly in their lives. As we look at this, Number one, I hope it makes you excited about doctrine. That you begin to see doctrine as, as not some far off and, and, and uh, 
impractical thing, but the study of knowing who God is and what He has done for us, what He has revealed to us in His Word, changes everything. We heard Charlie's testimony earlier. What was it about? It was about encountering Jesus Christ and how that changed everything for him. Not all at once, not, not, not in, a, in a flash of lightning, but once he came to know who God was and, who, and as a result who he was and how he should be dependent on God, his life began to change. Doctrine changes us because it reveals to us who our God is, who we are, and how we are to act in this world. So I hope it gets you excited about doctrine. I hope this passage leads us to be teachable, to search the scriptures, to find people, elders, others, who can instruct and direct us towards a right way of living, not just a right way of thinking. This instruction that we're to receive from sound doctrine doesn't just affect our minds, it affects and infects our whole being. Doctrine should be infecting our thoughts so that we are thinking about what is true and right and good. Doctrine should infect our emotions so that the way that we feel and react to things is in relation to God's glory and not our glory. That's a good litmus test, by the way. If I'm getting angry, am I getting angry because somebody is diminishing and opposing the glory of God? Or am I getting angry because somebody is diminishing and attacking the glory of Seth? It needs to be changing our desires. What is it I'm longing for? What is it I'm hoping for? Is my hope based on the truth of Christianity as revealed in the Scriptures, or am I looking to this world and the things of this world to find my hope and satisfaction? By the way, we we think it goes from our thoughts to our feelings and emotions, but that's not how human beings work. We're not really rational creatures at our base, here's, here's what we do. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you get mad at them, and then you come up with really good reasons why you're mad at them. Okay, it, it, but reason doesn't start the process, it, it, it fills in the blanks later on. What we need to be working towards is, is desiring God, longing for Him growing in our love of Him. And one of the things you'll begin to see is as as you work on your emotions, as you work on your volition, as you work on your desire, that the thoughts begin to follow. That as you, you start to long for God, you begin to see His goodness. You begin to think on His graciousness more and more. This instruction reforms us and transforms us, not just in our thinking, but also in the activities of our desires and emotions. And then lastly, to be on guard. There's a lot of false teaching. 
the scriptures say the road is narrow. That what that means is it's easy to veer off, and Satan doesn't care if you veer off to the left or to the right. He doesn't care if you fall into self-righteous legalism or if you fall into self-indulgent licentiousness, just as long as you're off the track of grace. Pursue a doctrine that keeps you out of the ditches and in line with the one who has saved us. Elders are important because they guard this doctrine that has been given and passed down that reveals to us who our God is and because of how powerful, how transcendent, how transformative that knowledge is, we guard it. Not as an artifact kept away behind glass, but as a message that is spread to all the nations because it is powerful to save and to transform all peoples. This is our hope. This is our mission. The elders are to be leaders in this, but we're called a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for His own possession. The elders have a bigger responsibility, but all of us have a role to play in declaring the goodness of the God who has saved us and sent His Son on our behalf. Let us pray and then receive the benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy poured out to us. Pray that you would bless us and encourage us to be obedient, to be faithful to the trustworthy word which has been revealed. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. May we protect and guard that truth for your glory and for the benefit of a dark and dying world. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Before our benediction, we have a a reception here afterwards just with some light food for y'all to enjoy. Uh, So we would love all of you to come for that. If you're thinking about leaving without coming, repent. (laughs) Hear now the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good work. Go in the light of this truth and do likewise. Amen.